It's so good to be with you today. I think it was about a year ago, the last time we were here. So some of you are new since then. My name is Levi, but it's great to be here. I am the family pastor. I do youth and kids over at Freedom Village Church in Yongsan. Um, I lived most of my life in Weijongbu, up north. There's an international school up there. Um, I know some of you might be familiar with ICS Pyeongtaek. Um, I went to ICS Weijongbu, which is the sister school of the ICS Pyeongtaek school. Yes, Pyeongtaek and Weijongbu. So I, I was raised there most of my life. My dad was an international church pastor at an international church at uh, Weijongbu as well. So I, I, I lived here for, for quite some time. Was in Puang for three years. I was um, Puang's a city down south. If you've heard of Handong uh, Biakyo, there's a Handong um, University. There's a high school that, that that is connected to that university, and I worked there for for three years. And then came up to Yongsan. Um, my wife and I both worked at that high school there. Came up to Yongsan, and my wife and I lived in Hebangchon for now one year. And here we are. So. Yes, we're going to be in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. Uh, today's love. And a lot of times when you hear sermons on love, it's either about God's love for us, our love for one another. Um, and we're, that's going to be mentioned throughout. However, the main focus of today is going to be our love for Jesus, um, as mentioned in the text. And the reason I go in this direction is because, personally, maybe the past two months, my love for Jesus, I think, hasn't been where it should be. And I think that's reflected in things I normally do, my devotional life, even within fellowship with other believers. It's, I'm there physically, but there's no intentionality to it. And I found that true for myself the past two months. So as I was... It was a sign to me, you know, to speak on love, and, and literally you have the whole Bible, right? Because the whole Bible is about love, about God's love for his people. Um, but as I, was, as, as I was trying to decide and praying through, you know, God, what, what do you want me to talk about, about love? Um, there was one night in particular, it was a Monday night, the Monday before I preached, so two weeks ago, um, my baby Leah was, was, was getting sick. And so I was staying up pretty late, um, as some of you can attest this happens. Uh, but... After I finally got to put her down, it was about 1 a.m., put her down to sleep, I still couldn't sleep. And it wasn't an audible voice from God, but it was the written word of God that I had read a few times as I was trying to decide, what about love should I preach on? And I had read John 21, 15 through 19 a couple of times, read some other texts to figure out what to do. But that question that's, that Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? continuously kept repeating in my mind? Because it's a powerful question. And, and it's, not just, it's not that he just asks it one time. He asks it repeatedly. So in my mind, I was asking myself, do you love Jesus? And I would, I would say something like, well, you know, I work in a church and been doing that. I, you know, there are certain things I don't do well, but I, I, I do my best. And then the question comes again, because it does in our text as well, do you love me? It's like, well, you know, I do things for the youth in the city. I don't have to do that, but I, I do those things. And the question comes again, do you love me? And I think if we ask ourselves that question enough, do you love Jesus, and we put away the excuses, I think a lot of us will find that maybe our love for him isn't where it should be. And so the question we're going to look to answer today 
is what does it even mean to love Jesus? What does that mean? What does it mean to love Jesus? It's a question I needed to answer for myself. So again, I said this last week when I preached it over at Freedom Village Church. This is for me, selfishly. But I hope as I'm preaching to myself, as the word is helping me, it helps us together as well. What does it mean to love Jesus? And before we get really into the text, let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. Help us to continue to love you. And help us to grow in our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus looked right into the eyes of the Pharisees and he said to them, you don't love God. You don't, I'm sorry, you don't know God because you don't love me. And and, and he was talking to the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees are the religious leaders. They were the ones that were Old Testament saturated. They were the spiritually oriented people. They knew it all about the spiritual realm of that time, right? They were the leaders of spirituality. And Jesus says to them, you you actually don't know God. And the reason I know you don't know God is because you don't love me. So what's the litmus test for knowing God, for being a Christian, for being a follower of God? Do you love Jesus? So I hope today that as we go through this text, we can ask ourselves the question Jesus is asking Peter. And we can repeat that question to ourselves as we go through. Do you love Jesus? Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Excuses aside, do you love Jesus? And I want to start with, where does that love even come from? Where does that love come from? How how do we, what's the word I'm looking for? How do we cultivate that love within ourselves? How do we cultivate a love for Jesus in us? And I, I want us to remember the story from Luke chapter 7. Um, it's, it's the scene of the lady that's washing Jesus' feet. And, and a Pharisee asks Jesus uh, to come to dinner, and, and, he, and he, says, he says to Jesus, well, the reality is the Pharisee there, he, he didn't wash Jesus' feet. He didn't kiss Jesus. He didn't do anything to show affection for Jesus. But suddenly there's this woman of the street leaning over Jesus' bare feet, and she's weeping. And the tears are falling on his dirty feet, and she's taking her hair, washing Jesus' feet. I mean, the Pharisees are bent out of shape. They're like, listen, if you were a prophet like you say you are, you would know what kind of woman this is. You would know what she does. But yet you're allowing her to do this? They were freaking out. And Jesus says to the Pharisee, essentially, he says, a man had two debtors. One owed him 5,000 bucks, One owed him five bucks. They didn't have dollars. Okay. He forgave them both. Uh, Who will love him more? That's what Jesus is telling the Pharisees. The Pharisee says, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus says, you have judged rightly. He says, when I came here, you didn't kiss me. You didn't wash my feet. But from the time I came in, she has wept over my feet, washed them with her tears, Wipe them with their hair because she has been forgiven much. So where does our love for Jesus come from? 
It comes from being stunned by being loved by God. Uh, This love comes from being overwhelmed by the person of Jesus dying on our behalf, rising again, though we have no merit at all in ourselves. When that truth grips you, then you will taste what it is to treasure, to delight in, and to be satisfied in Jesus Christ. So the question is, before we get to the main question, is your love for Jesus lacking? And maybe the the way out of that, the way to grow in your love for Jesus is to take time to be stunned, to be amazed, to be in awe of the all-satisfying and all-sufficient truth that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ came to this earth in humility, lived a perfect life, died for you, a sinner. Romans chapter 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And surely we gather together to remind one another of that truth, of the gospel, But how often do we remind ourselves throughout the week of that truth of the gospel, that Jesus loves us so much that he came into the world to die for sinners like us? So our love for Jesus is fueled by his love for us. 1 John 4, verse 7 through 10, it says this. I think it'll be up on the screen. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son, his only Son, into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So this is where it starts. It starts by regularly looking at Jesus for what he's done for us and allowing that to fuel our love for him. Our love for him comes from his great love for us. I was in a, we have something called missional families at Freedom Village Church, and I preached this text and we, and we went to, okay, this illustration probably is not going to be helpful. But I'm going to share it anyway. Um, we, so right after service, we do our missional family at our house, uh, Minji and I do. And one of our members in our missional family, a Korean gentleman, great guy, but he was sharing what he thought about the sermon. And he was sharing an illustration. He loves sports. I do as well. I like basketball. So he was using this illustration of God's love. It's like a basketball. Once again, probably not helpful, but I thought it was great. Um, it's like a basketball. It's like God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruin it as well. Anyways, we'll get through this. God's love is like a basketball. He sends it down, and then it bounces off the ground. But if he doesn't initiate it, our love for him doesn't go up. Cool. All right. Anyway, so he's saying, like, it bounces off the ground, but he initiates it. Not if it... Cool. All right. What does it mean to love Jesus? What does it mean to love Jesus? Now I get to go home and tell him that I used his illustration. But I'm not going to explain how it went. I'll just say I, I used it. All right. What does it mean to love Jesus? A little bit of context to John 21. Uh, It's the scene of the disciples are doing what they like to do. They're on the water on a boat, and they're also doing what they like to do on a boat. They're fishing. And as they're fishing, they're realizing they can't catch nothing. And Jesus is out on the shore, and he yells out, Children! Did you catch any fish? And they say, No, we didn't catch any fish. Um, So he says, hey, take your net, 
put it on the other side. And at this point, I, I would like to hope that some of them would have recognized this has happened before. <laughs> Maybe that's Jesus. But none of them recognize him at this point. Put it on the other side. There's a whole bunch of fish in their net. They can barely haul it onto the boat. And then John, or the disciple whom Jesus loved, that he likes to regularly call himself throughout the book of John, he looks over at Peter and he says, that's Jesus. And Peter's like, you know, I think you're right. So Peter puts on his uh, swimming clothes, which the text actually says, like, clothes to swim in. And then he gets, gets in the water, starts swimming to the shore, and then the boat turns and also goes to the shore. I don't know who won as far as who got to the shore first. I like to think it'd be kind of funny if the boat got there first. It's like, Peter, why'd you get? But probably Peter got there first. Pretty athletic, pretty strong. So he gets there, and then Jesus is on the shore, and he's cooking up some breakfast. He has some fish, and he has some bread. Um, and he says, hey, come eat with me. And in fact, bring your, bring your fish. Come eat with me, the fish that you just caught. And the text actually says that Peter got onto the boat, got back onto the boat, and then I believe it says 153 fish in John chapter 21 that he like picks up and brings it over there and they start to have a feast, feastful morning together. So they're gathered around. And, and the text also says that um, unlike the road to Emmaus, this time there was no question as to who was with them because this was after the resurrection of Jesus. And, and, and they, they look to one another, and they're like, this is the Lord. And so that's where our text comes in today. They're sitting around a charcoal fire, which is an important detail we'll mention later. Um, and then now our text comes in. Verse 15, we're going to read that again, uh, verses 15 through 19 together. Starting in verse 15. I'm reading from the ESV. And yeah, that's what, Okay. Starting in verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what by what by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So the question is, what does it mean to love Jesus? What does it mean to love him? And number one, loving Jesus means having passion for him. Loving Jesus means having passion for him. So Jesus repeats this question, do you love me to Peter? The gripping question that grips all of us, right? That's a helpful question, it's direct. Do you love him? But there are two different Greek words used for love in this conversation. Jesus asks Peter, do you agape me? And a lot of us are familiar with, with that term in the Greek. Agape, it's the highest form of love. It's, it's a committed love. It's a covenantal love. It's a sacrificial love. It's usually in the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. 
uses the word agape to talk about God's love for his people or his people's love for God, generally speaking. Old Testament and New Testament, that's, that's consistent. And then now, so Jesus asked Peter, do you agape me? And Peter responds, Jesus, you know I phileo you. Which is not a, it's not a low love, but it's generally in the New and Old Testament used to describe people's love for one another. So the conversation goes like this. Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter responds, Jesus, you know I phileo you. The second question comes, Peter, do you agape me? Peter responds, Jesus, you know I phileo you. The third question that Jesus asks, Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter responds, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. Admittedly, some scholars say that a distinction shouldn't be made here. However, I, I like to think, I, I think that John is doing something here merely because of the pattern. And I think something's going on here with those words that are used. And I think what we see, because, because of Jesus first asking, do you agape me? Peter responds, Jesus, you know I phileo you. Agape is never used for Peter's response, but it is used for Jesus' question. And I think what we see here is a realized humility in Peter. Because if you know anything about Peter, you know that he's a go-getter. Uh, he's, he's often overconfident. Uh, he's somebody that, I mean, he's the one that told Jesus, Jesus, you're not going to the cross. There's no way. And Jesus rebukes him. Uh, in fact, he was the one that said, Jesus, I would, I, would get, I would die for you. And then he denies him three times. And he was the one, they were coming to take Jesus. He takes out his sword, goes for the guy's head probably, gets his ear, terrible aim, right? Gets his ear. He's somebody that's, that's go, he's all in. And I think what we're seeing here is Jesus asks this question, and, 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 and we're going to go over some of the, the details of what the scene looks like exactly, but when, as he's asking this question, Peter's starting to realize, maybe my love isn't as great as I thought it was. Maybe my devotion isn't as great as I thought it was. Jesus is asking, do you love me with the highest love? And, and Peter's responding, Jesus, you know I love you, but maybe it's not there. And I think what we're seeing is a realized humility in Peter. So I think, again, that's the question we should ask ourselves. Do you agape Jesus? Do you, do you love him at the highest level? Do, do you, are you all in with Jesus? Is he your supreme value in life? And this is the question, these, this is the question Peter realizes maybe he can't answer yes fully. Do you love me? And ultimately, our love for, for Jesus is to encompass both agape and phileo. Both of these should be true. Um, it's like husband's love for their wife. Um, almost four years ago, I, I, I committed myself to, to love Minji exclusively. She's my wife. Exclusively until death parts us. Um, that agape commitment is the basis for our phileo relationship uh, that we've built over the years. And while our relationship is not built on feelings, but rather commitment, I do have strong feelings of love for her. If the feelings were never there, something seriously would be wrong with our relationship. Uh, the same should be true of our love for the Lord. It's based on commitment. It consists of a growing relationship, and it often involves strong feelings. 
So as I mentioned the word feelings, um, I think the question should be asked, is love mainly doing what Jesus said or is it deeper and have to do with the heart and the affections? Is it merely obedience or is there feeling and affection involved? Uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, if you love mother or father more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you love son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. And that means, if you're looking at, it is up there. If you're looking at the text, uh, that means he's thinking of your love for Jesus like he thinks of your love for your children. And, and we, don't, we don't love our children by doing what they say, by obeying them. They're, they're your treasure. You would die for your children. They're precious to you. You wouldn't sell them for billions of dollars. They're your treasure. Uh, well, this text is saying Jesus is to be your greater treasure, uh, of greater value to you. Or another argument could be made, love can't be an emotion, it can't be an affection because um, emotions can't be commanded. You can't command an emotion. And a lot of, the, a lot of times this is in our vernacular, right? We, I fell in love. <laughs> Oops, right? Or I, I can't help it, it's just how I feel. Right? I, I can't help those things. And we, and we, we, we say things like that often. Uh, but I, I don't think this is right. I don't think it's right to say that that emotions can't be a part of love in the Bible because it's commanded, because I think the first premise is false. Of course, Jesus commands the emotions. The Bible's filled with commands of the emotions. It, we shouldn't fear. We, we should be thankful. We should fear, I'm sorry. We should be thankful. We should be compassionate. We should be earnest. We should hope. All of these are emotions. And really, of course, God has the right to command our emotions the fact that we're so corrupt and so dead that, that we can't do the right emotion or feel the right emotion, it's not God's problem. Uh, it's our corruption. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 15, it says this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So, so many, many would say, well, look, it's right here, right? Love is obedience. If you love me, you'll do my commandments. Um, but what we see here are two different things. If you love me, you will do another thing outside of love, such as doing my commandments. Two different things. The doing of the commandments is the result of the love that we see there. So what is the true nature of love? It includes obedience, but it's nothing less than being transformed by an affection for him. Treasuring, admiring, delighting in, being satisfied by the most beautiful treasure of all, and really the, the nature of love is Philippians chapter three, verse eight, that we'll see up on the screen. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And once again, this love comes from being overwhelmed by the person of Jesus, dying on our behalf, rising again, that we have no merit at all in ourselves. When that grips you, uh, then you taste what it is to treasure Jesus, delight in Jesus, and be satisfied in him. So first, loving Jesus means having passion for him. It means valuing him above all else, treasuring him above all else, but also means to be willing to sacrifice everything. Loving Jesus means being willing to sacrifice everything. 
Jesus says to Peter in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Jesus here is describing the death of Peter, what kind of death he would have, and the fact that he would die. And how, how do we know that that's what he's talking about? How could you possibly know um, that, that Jesus is talking about Peter's death? Um, if we use the, the technical process uh, known as reading, we'll find in verse 19, if you move on. I think it's up there. Yes. That Jesus says, that the text says this. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So we know that Jesus is talking about the death of Peter. What kind of death and the fact that he is going to die. So the question, what kind of death did Peter actually die? And the scriptures don't give an account of Peter's death. However, um, scholars are quite consistent. Uh, these are scholars of both that both secular scholars look back to and also Christian scholars. Uh, quite consistent that about 34 years after this conversation, the Roman government took Peter and crucified him. And actually, tradition also says that when he went to go be crucified, he said, I don't want to be crucified like my Lord. I'm not worthy of that. So he was crucified upside down. And it makes sense with the text here that this is what happens. Um, because, because here we see Jesus foretelling Peter's death and maybe he did it to prepare him because he knew that he was going to be gone, right? Jesus was going to be gone. So he's preparing him for these difficult times. Um, but nonetheless, Jesus reminded Peter that in the past, when you were younger, it says in the text, Peter had a certain amount of freedom to come and go as he pleased. But the day was coming when that would be no longer the case. When you are old, it says in the text. It doesn't necessarily mean that Peter was going to live to a ripe old age or that he was going to have a full life of ministry, but just that later, uh, when you are older, um, that this would not be the case. And, and uh, also the means of death for Peter is seen clearly here. Um, it says stretching out his hands uh, could easily be interpreted to the, the crucifixion of Peter. Um, and some historians point to the fact that uh, the Romans also used stocks um, as, as an instrument of torture in the stocks, prisoners' hands uh, were stretched on the centerpiece. Whatever the manner of execution, it's clear that Peter was at the mercy of others. He couldn't control himself. He was taken somewhere where he didn't want to go, where they took him to that place. And really, in, in spite of the, the gruesome details of maybe what Jesus is telling him and how discouraging that could be for Peter, I think... Uh, where he found joy and comfort is that Jesus says that your death will glorify God. And this, this, I think especially if you think about what went on in Peter's life with Jesus, um, how he denied him, how he messed up time and time again, um, how, but how devoted he really was to him, um, I'm sure that that, was, that gave him comfort as he heard that his death would glorify God, that he would be faithful to him to the end. I'm sure that that was some form of joy, some form of comfort for Peter. But what am I trying to get at here, and I, I believe what the text is getting at, is that Peter's love for Jesus and his desire, his passion to obey and glorify him were evident, were shown 
in his willingness to ultimately give everything for Jesus. And this is really what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus commands Peter at the end of our text in verse 19. He says, follow me. And this is what it looks like. It looks like taking up your cross. To follow Jesus, to love him, means to give everything for him, or at least to be willing to give everything for him. It means to be willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of Jesus, your own personal agenda for your life, your comfort, your stability, your reputation, whatever God has called you to as followers of Christ and followers of his cross, we're to be willing and ready to lose our life for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. And when Jesus says to give up everything, uh, he says this because he's already taken everything upon himself. As Jesus hung on his cross, he paid for everything wrong that you or I have ever done. Every sin was covered by his suffering. All debts were paid by his blood. Because when he said it's finished, he really meant it. Um, Jesus paid the price to make you his disciple. And, and, and that's really why we are encouraged, we are motivated to give him everything because he has given us everything on the cross. So to love Jesus means to have passion for him, means to value him above all else, to treasure him, to have desire for him. And because of that, it means to be willing to sacrifice everything for him, just as Peter was willing to do as well. And thirdly, we're going to find here that loving Jesus means being committed to tending his sheep. Being committed to shepherding his sheep, tending his sheep. Uh, because three times in, in the, the question, Jesus says, do you love me? Peter answers, well, Jesus, you know that I love you. And then Jesus responds, then feed my sheep or tend my sheep or shepherd my sheep. And the word tend means to feed. Um, and, and the word shepherd means to do any of those, um, any of those things, any of those, what a terrible word, any of those jobs, whatever, to, that have to do with feeding. So, so whatever, whatever thing you're doing that has to do with feeding the sheep, that's what shepherding means. Um, to comfort, to guide, to protect. Um, this is what it means to shepherd. Um, so, so, so what Jesus is saying to Peter is, if you love me, if you have desire for me, if you're willing to sacrifice everything for me, then what follows is the feeding of my sheep, the shepherding of my sheep. And, so, and, and what we see is that Peter learned this lesson in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, I believe it'll be up there. It says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Shepherding the Lord's flock, feeding the sheep, tending to the sheep, comforting, guiding, protecting, um, teaching the word of God primarily is the job of the elders, primarily. And we see that in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, which says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. This is addressing the elders in the church. 
among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So we see that primarily the job of shepherding, protecting, guiding, comforting, teaching the word of God is, is for the elders in the church. But we also see in scripture that, that the elders alone couldn't possibly do it themselves. Um, if you look throughout the New Testament, you'll find, and actually at Freedom Village Church, we did a series on the one another texts of the New Testament. Encourage one another, love one another, forgive one another, help one another, those kind of things. And what we see, I think, in these plethora of one another texts in the New Testament is that the shepherding of the sheep, the guiding, the helping, the encouraging, um, the, the training one another up in righteousness is a community project. It's something that isn't just for the elders or the pastors that stand up here, but for all of us to be doing with one another. Obviously, primarily the job of the elders to, to orchestrate that, to organize that, but should be done by all of us. The older Christians shepherding and helping the younger. Parents guiding their children. Um, mothers at home that, that, are, that are guiding their children every day, teaching the word of God. This is a community project, something we do together, not just the people getting paid or the people volunteering to stand up here. It's to be all of us. Which is why a lot of churches uh, choose the small group model or something uh, to do throughout the week. And hopefully um, we are gathering together at some point throughout the week, helping one another. If it's not you know, a text message, hey, how are you doing these days? Keeping one another accountable um, and, and those sort of things. I know just two weeks ago, um, it was a volunteer that I oversee uh, that just sent me a message, hey, um, we're praying for your family. How can I be praying for you? Um, how encouraging, how helpful is that? That they're helping us, guiding us in the form of prayer. Um, so it is a community project, not something done uh, just by those standing in the front. And I will also say this about shepherding, about guiding, about helping one another along, is that as we do that with one another, as we encourage one another, as we're teaching one another God's word, um, that love for Jesus is our foundation for tending or feeding the flock of God. And we should love the church, love the flock, because Jesus loves the flock, because he gave his life for them. But sometimes the sheep just aren't that lovable. Um, and that's just the reality of the situation. Therefore, your love for Jesus has to undergird your service to and shepherding of his sheep. Or you'll get hurt, you'll get discouraged, and you'll quit. Love for Jesus is what keeps you going when the sheep are stubborn and disagreeable. Um, I'm not serving the sheep for what they can give me. I'm just a sheepdog, if you know what a sheepdog is. Actually, at um, Moody Bible Institute, where I graduated, the... Um, What's that called? What mascot? Mascot? Mascot of the school was a sheepdog. It's a Bible school, so go figure. We were the sheepdogs. You know, they're raising up pastors. They thought it was clever. And it is. It's actually good. It's good. However, when you're at a sporting event and you're playing like the Cougars or like the, the Warriors, you know, we're the... <laughs> no, it's fine. No, no, no. This is... I never said it at games. I never said, hey, go sheepdogs. You know, it just doesn't have that, that bite. That was bite. 
All right, sheepdogs. But that, that is what, what we're like because um, as we sh- serve as uh, sheepdogs, sheepdogs don't, don't get much from the sheep except hassles and manure. Uh, in our case, we serve as sheepdogs because we were in the dog pound, headed for extermination, when the great shepherd rescued us and put us into his service. While we want to help the sheep, we serve them because we love the shepherd, because of our relationship with him, which is true of a sheepdog as well. They have a relationship with the shepherd. We want to please him. And he asks you, do you love me? And if your answer is, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, then he replies, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep. We're to be, if we're, if we're calling ourselves followers of Jesus, this is our call to be committed to shepherding one another, feeding one another, being devoted to helping, guiding, comforting one another, not just a Sunday thing. Every day of the week, we're to be thinking to ourselves, how can I be a sheepdog for the Lord and shepherding the sheep that Jesus has put in my life? So how have you been a part of shepherding the flock and tending his sheep? Because loving Jesus means that you will be committed to that. Once again, to love Jesus, in, in summary of those three points, it means, to love Jesus means to have passion for him, to value him above everything else, to treasure him above anything else in your life. It means to be willing to sacrifice everything for him, your reputation, anything else, your idols in your life, sacrifice everything for him. And it means to commit yourself to shepherding his sheep. And there are going to be times, and I know some of us, um, maybe many of us, I don't know, have have been Christians longer than I have. Um, And there there are times when our love, we know, we understand it, is not where it should be. I think Peter understood that here as well, that our love for Jesus is not where it should be. But I think what we see here in this conversation is immense mercy, immense grace. Um, Because what we see is actually a mirror of the initial call of Peter. What was Peter doing when he was first called to follow Jesus? He was on a boat. He was fishing. And Jesus was at the shore. He was trying to fish, couldn't catch nothing. Jesus said, hey, throw it to the other side. He picked up that, throw it to the other side, so many fish. He's like, well, who is this guy? How does he know what fish is in the water? What side of the boat are in? So what's this guy's deal? He goes to the shore, and Jesus says, what words? Two words. Follow me. So we see the exact same words Jesus uses in his initial call to Peter, he uses here in verse 19. But not only that, how many times does Jesus say, do you love me? He says it three times. And how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. So you see every single time Jesus, Peter denied Jesus, you see a recommissioning to Peter in grace and mercy. Not only that, but there are only two times in the book of John where a charcoal fire is mentioned. And the first time is at the denial of Jesus that Peter does. There's a charcoal fire and around it, he denies him three times. And now as Peter approaches Jesus here on the shore to have this recommissioning conversation, he sees another charcoal fire, which I'm sure all of these things put together is flowing through Peter's mind of how many times he's failed. And then here's Jesus looking at him in this conversation Do you love me? 
do you love me? And maybe his love isn't there. Maybe it's a phileo kind of love, and it's not where it should be. It's not that highest form of love. But nonetheless, Jesus tells him, go feed my sheep. I'm going to use you still. So maybe our love here today isn't where it should be. I believe Jesus can and will still use you. Turn back to him in repentance and devotion. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us. And because of your love for us, um, we love you. Because of your love for us, we love for one another. And I pray that here today, if there are those of us that um, maybe our love hasn't been where it should be, uh, that we would turn to you, we would look at Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross and allow that to fuel our desire, our passion for him. And as a result, that we would be willing to sacrifice everything. If it's our, if it's our stability, if it's our security, wherever it is that you have called us to, that we would be willing to give that up to you, not just to do it, but because you've given everything for us. And I pray also that we would, we would be committed, as, as Jesus calls us. If, if, you, if we love Jesus, if we're going to follow him, that means that we're committed to shepherding his sheep. So I pray that everyone here would have a, a renewed sense of purpose to, to be called, to be shepherds, to be feeders of your flock. That that wouldn't just be a Sunday thing, but every week we'd be considering, how can I be a sheepdog to your people? And I pray that that be true for everyone here, Lord. Be true of myself as well. And I pray also that if someone here doesn't know you, hasn't experienced your love in this way, hasn't learn to love you in this way, I pray that they would. Because about 2,000 years ago, God, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth humbly, which is what we celebrate here at Christmas. We anticipate it. We get excited about it because of what the gospel means. Because you came, you lived a perfect life, you died in our place, you took our sin on yourself so that if we have faith in you, we believe in you, God, there is grace and mercy an opportunity for relationship with you. Eternity, not just now, but in eternity as well. And there is joy, there is hope, there is satisfaction, there is comfort in that relationship. And I pray that those of us here that maybe haven't put our faith in you, I pray that they do. And I pray that those of us that have, that we would be those that are commissioned to let everybody know, to let everybody know, Lord, that you love them and that you came down to this earth which is what Christmas is all about. So we thank you and we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.